Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics Podcast with Dr. Lance Miller. Each week, we bring you interviews with the top minds in the orthodontic profession in order to heighten your expertise, boost your motivation, and raise your skills. Join us as we help doctors take their practices and their lives to the next level. And now, here's your host, Dr. Lance Miller. Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics Podcast. I'm Dr. Lance Miller. I'm thrilled again to have you with us this week. I have a wonderful interview prepared with Dr. Donna Galante, and this is an interview I know you're going to really enjoy. I had the privilege, actually, of doing this interview with Dr. Galante uh, last week on Sunday, and then being able to see her speak in person last week on Thursday in Dallas, Texas. And it was just a treat to be able to sit down and talk with her. Donna is someone who's really passionate about orthodontics, who's very generous with her expertise and sharing the things that she's learned, and uh, is also very involved with coaching and mentoring other orthodontists. So this is an interview I know that you're really going to get a lot out of. Uh, I was in Dallas, Texas this last week at the MKS Forum. It was such a treat to be able to catch up with lots of old friends, uh, to be able to hang out during the meetings, between sessions, in the evenings, going to dinner. Uh, just a great time down there, and uh, I was so happy to be able to participate and hear some of the speakers, uh, some that I've heard before, some new speakers. Uh, I thought everyone did a great job, and and overall, the meeting organizers did a good job of putting together some informative and interesting sessions. I also was able to meet some new people, make some new friends. Uh, it's always fun to, to meet new people, to share experiences, to develop that relationship, and to be part of a specialty that allows us to come together and, and have this in common and uh, be able to develop a relationship. So uh, to all those who came up and introduced yourselves or said hi or thank you, uh, I really appreciate it. It was, it was fun to meet all of you and see you down there in Dallas. Before we get into the interview, I want to share with you guys a humorous but somewhat embarrassing story uh, from my life. This is from a couple of years ago uh, when my son was playing t-ball. And for anyone who's had kids in t-ball or Little League, especially when they're very young, you'll know that on the one hand, you're very excited because you know, your kids are out there and, and they're trying their best. And on the other hand, t-ball or, or Little League baseball can be just the most boring thing to go to on the planet. There's, there's no action. Uh, the kids are up there swinging at nothing. And after a while, as parents, you're just sitting there on the sidelines looking at each other like, how much more of this can we really take? So it was at one of these t-ball games. I showed up and I set up my lawn chair and I sat down and and the game started, and it wasn't too long before I kind of lost interest as watching all of the other kids get up there to uh, do their at-bat. And so I pulled out the newspaper, and I'm sitting there on the sideline with my newspaper up. And one of the other moms who I hadn't really met before kind of leaned over to me and, and in a very joking and good-natured way said, boy, you're really mailing it in today, aren't you? And we had a good laugh about it and actually became uh, good friends. And uh, this is a family who we've grown quite close to. And I tell the story to remind myself and to make the point that we really need to be engaged in the moment with whatever we're doing, especially when it involves our interactions with other people. And I was reminded of this uh, this week at MKS. One of my favorite lectures was uh, Dr. Cole Johnson. And he put up a slide that had some words of wisdom he'd received from his father and these are the three things that he said. Hear what you're listening to, see what you're looking at, be where you are. 
And I think this is something that as orthodontists is a struggle, at least it is for me. Uh, when I'm working on patients, am I really engaged with what's going on with their treatment? Am I talking with them? Am I understanding what's going on in their lives? Am I communicating with mom or dad or whoever's sitting there on the bench? Or, or did I just get off the phone with my accountant and I'm thinking about payroll and, and marketing and staff problems? I, I know we all have this where we kind of just zone out and we're in a totally different world, not really connected with uh, who we're working with or, or what we're doing at that time. Uh, similarly, when, when staff are, are telling you something really that they think is important, are, are you really hearing them? Are you really listening? I know I've been guilty of kind of tuning out and then asking them to repeat it and getting that frustrated look because I wasn't giving them the attention and showing them that they were important. Uh, even worse, when we're talking with our spouse or our kids at the end of the day, we're home, uh, we've got a lot on our mind, uh, and you know we're sitting there kind of watching their mouth move and uh, not really hearing the, the words that they're saying or understanding what they're trying to tell us. So we understand, I think, at some level, the power of focusing. We are, after all, specialists. We've decided to devote our attention to a very small subset of skills, and we recognize the power that that focus brings to our life. And so my challenge for you this week is to harness that same focus uh, in every interaction that we have with other people. And that we can, by doing so, uh, be able to be engaged with what we're doing, to be able to make those connections, and honestly, to be happier and to be more productive at whatever it is that we're doing. So in the words of Cole Johnson, this week, I hope you can hear what you're listening to, see what you're looking at, and be where you are. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon. Dr. Donna Galante is a board-certified orthodontist in private practice for over 30 years. She and her husband, fellow orthodontist Paul Cater, own four orthodontic specialty offices in Northern California. She's a graduate of the University of Pennsylvania School of Dental Medicine, where she received both her dental degree and her specialty certification in orthodontics. For eight years, she was a clinical instructor at the University of Pennsylvania Department of Orthodontics, where she was twice voted Instructor of the Year. Currently, Dr. Galante is guest lecturer at Harvard University School of Dentistry, where she is teaching orthodontic residents how to effectively and predictably treat patients with Invisalign. She's the author of The Truth About Invisalign, What Patients and Parents Need to Know, and more recently, It's All About Millimeters, How Small Changes Can Make a Big Impact in Your Business and Your Life. A faculty member for Invisalign since 2011, Dr. Galante has lectured both nationally and internationally to over 10,000 doctors and their teams sharing her expertise with the Invisalign Orthodontic Appliance. Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast, Dr. Galante. Thank you for having me, Lance. Happy to be here today. Looking forward to this. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you're here, Donna. We're, we're recording on a Sunday, and this is like a classic New England day for us here with all the autumn leaves in, in full effect. Um, I'm wondering what you guys are up to this weekend in California. You know, it's um, fall here as well, obviously, and uh, beautiful weather where we we do, I'm in Northern California, so we do get some leaves, you know, changing color. So not quite as nice as New England. I grew up on the East Coast. I actually grew up in Philadelphia. And I have to say, when I moved to the West Coast 24 years ago, um, you know, it was one of the things I kind of missed because the fall colors on the East Coast are just amazing. But fortunately, where we are, we get change in seasons. You know, I'm not near the beach. I'm inland. And we get some fall colors, not quite as nice as what you guys are getting, but we have beautiful weather, and it's um, it's one of my favorite times of the year, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah, I, I love it as well. So, 
Uh, well, thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, perhaps we can start uh, with you telling our listeners a little bit about how you became an orthodontist and a brief overview of how you arrived at your current practice arrangement. All right. That's a good story. Um, so grew up in Philadelphia, actually in the suburbs of Philadelphia, you know, went to college in a little town of Reading, Pennsylvania, kind of outside Harrisburg. And then from there, went off to dental school. Um, my initial plan when I went to college, this is kind of a cool story, actually, and kind of will be appropriate to our conversation that we're going to have today. Um, my initial goal when I went to college was to be a pharmacist, um, just like my dad. I wanted to be just like my father, who was a pharmacist. And um, going off to college, I was going to study uh, chemistry and then uh, from there apply to pharmacy school. And he re he said, look, you can, no, 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 you're not going to pharmacy school. You can study chemistry, but I need you to do anything but pharmacy. And I'd say, well, what, why dad? Why? Now you got to remember this is like 1976. I'm entering college. Okay. <laughs> and he says, look, he goes, what's going to happen to pharmacists? Nobody's going to have their own pharmacy. It, you're, we're all going to be working for, um, corporate entities. And he goes, and he was, my father was really big about being your own boss, you know, having your own, you know, place, you know, not working for a big corporation. Unfortunately, my father did work for a pharmaceutical company as a pharmacist. He was a research pharmacist. So he did research for a very large pharmaceutical company. And I would say in general was not real happy with his job at the time. So he wouldn't let me be a pharmacy student. So I went in thinking, okay, I'll do chemistry. Maybe I'll go to med school. And I think my sophomore year, I did this internship for about eight weeks and spent that whole time. It was kind of a semester break. And back east, you have kind of these long semester breaks in the winter. And I spent that whole time with a, a female physician who was doing her, you know, residency at a local hospital in Reading, Pennsylvania, and basically was there from seven in the morning to seven at night with her. And it, and, and let me tell you, she was always there earlier than seven. And I never saw her leave at seven when I would leave. <laughs> and I just saw the eight weeks of just a grind, I'll be honest with you. I don't know how she did it. And being around really sick children just totally depressed it, depressed me because she was a pediatric resident. And I think after that, I thought, you know, the whole medical school thing probably is not going to be what I want to do. And I had a couple of really good friends that were free dent. So I thought, well, you know what? There's some advantages to, you know, going to dental school and dentistry in general. And I ended up going down that path. And, and then when I, once I was in dental school, I started working for an orthodontist part-time on the weekends and grew to love orthodontics. So that was kind of the path because uh, originally going into dental school, my goal was to be a dentist. But after spending a, a year working for this orthodontist on Saturdays, just fell in love with that whole part of dentistry. And here I am today. <laughs> so how did you transition to the West Coast? So, okay. So that's another really good story. <laughs> so I, um, I was teaching. I went to UPenn dental and then UPenn ortho and I stayed on as a part-time clinical instructor after I graduated. And I was there and teaching on Tuesdays. I'd opened my own office as well in Philadelphia. And I was also working as an associate in two other locations. So I was pretty busy. And then I met my husband and he was, um, Basically, you know, not wanting to stay in Philadelphia. He's an orthodontist, didn't want to stay in Philadelphia, didn't like it here, didn't like it there. 
and wanted to move back to California. So, um, and we ended up selling the practice and moving to the West Coast and which is where he was from. And that's kind of how I ended up on the West Coast. So when you moved to California, you guys just started a practice or you know, were you working other places as well? Yeah. So the first thing, actually, we bought a practice. That was the first okay. thing we did. But yes, we were working at other places, you know, and uh, you know how it goes when you first, you know, you're buying a practice. Both of us had major school loans, right? The story hasn't changed a lot because you hear about these <laughs> young people coming out with all these loans. Well, back then they felt like major loans too. You know, I think money's just different, different times in our lives, but we both had pretty good student debt, you know, between dental school and then ortho school. So even though we had our own office, we were both commuting to, you know, quote unquote, you know, corporate jobs or per diem kinds of situations. Yeah. So, and we did, well, honestly, my husband did it longer than I did because I probably did it for a couple of years and then, you know, started having children and then kind of backed up, backed off the corporate scene and just worked part time in our practice until, you know, the kids got to be a certain age and then went back in full time. And, and now, obviously, we have four locations. Um, now my kids are in, our kids are in college. Right. But. So when building your practice, what were the things that were important to you? What kind of a culture did you want to create? What kind of practice were you, were you looking to build? You know, it's so funny looking back. So we're talking like mid nineties. And, and back then, you know, it was like you, you know, you kind of opened your door and it was very traditional, you know, so it was all, it was all fixed appliances, right? I mean, you didn't have, I mean, the big thing then, you know what the big thing then was? Um, ceramic braces, right? Clear braces. And I remember even having gold braces, right? right. Um, but ceramic braces were like the big thing, right? And even in ortho school, when I was in school in the uh, mid eighties, um, we actually, actually used kind of the beta test site for the speed appliance. So I was even using self ligating, um, in my ortho residency program, but ceramics were just coming out then. Um, the night tie wires were just coming out. <laughs> Obviously, the straight wire appliance. This is, we're talking like 1984, 85, 86. So we had a very traditional bracket and wire practice. You know, 80% of your, 90% of your referrals came from the general dentist, right? You had this referral-based practice. Very few patients walked in from, you know, any sort of outside. Um, you know, it, it wasn't like the soccer moms were referring to each other. It was like the dentists were referring them in. And quite honestly, I don't even think we really focused a whole lot on, on, um, marketing at all. I think it was like, we bought this practice and, you know, we, we treated the patients well, you know, we did good work and the the practice grew and grew and grew. And I have to say up until about, you know, 2008, 2007, you know, pretty traditional practice, you know, 70%, um, Referral based from GPs, 90% fixed appliances, you know, um, 80% teen, very small percentage of adults. And then uh, 2008 pretty much uh, rocked our world and changed totally our practice structure. We, yeah, we, and we talked about this a little bit in the, in the pre-interview. Uh, so for, for orthodontists who haven't been through something like that, what, what did that downturn feel like? Like, how did it affect your practice or your stress levels? What was that experience like? Oh, gosh, you know, it's, it, when you're in practice long enough, you'll, you'll have these ups and downs or these little dips or periods of 
you know, where things aren't going as good as they used to. And I would say I had that happen to me in my very, very first practice that I started back in uh, the Philadelphia suburbs back in 1988. There was a uh, savings and loan crisis that occurred and several banks went out of business. It wasn't as severe as the one in 2008, but it was bad enough that I was a startup and affected by it. And it was pretty scary. I think the thing that saved me was having some other associate positions that helped pay the bills. Um, but I remember once we sold that practice thinking, oh my gosh, you know, if I, if I ever do another office again, I'm really going to make sure I don't overspend on equipment and, and, and tenant improvements because that was what was killing me trying to pay that bank loan. And then of course, 2001, 9-11, right? Um, so we had just moved, you know, to Sacramento and we had just opened it all. I'm not kidding you. We literally opened the office in, in like September and then 9-11 hit. And, you know, fortunately, I mean, it, it definitely affected us. And I think most people can remember back to that time frame, um, having probably about a good solid 10 months of just really slow business. People were kind of scared to do anything. I think the only thing that saved us was the fact that we didn't overspend. We were very conservative about our tenant improvements, conservative about just everything we did. So the, the note that we had was not insurmountable. Plus we both had jobs, you know, we had corporate jobs so we could, you know, make ends meet. Well, 2008. Okay. So, you know, from 2001 till about 2007, our practice, you know, once 9-11 was over, our practice went kaboom and you know, we were just growing gangbusters for a good solid six to seven years. I mean, it was just insane. And then we decided to do um, what I said I would never do again. And that was you know, take out a big loan. <laughs> we moved into a big brand new building, you know, took out a huge real estate loan, you know, opened up, you know, doubled our space, you know, and, um, because gosh, you know, we needed more space. We needed to expand. And then shortly six months after that, crash and burn. Um, 2008, you know, mid 2008, seriously. I and mean, it was just like literally my husband, I used to say to my husband, did you pay the phone bill? Because that phone is not ringing anymore. I mean, it just literally would be silent. Like you'd be in the office and it'd be like silent. <laughs> <laughs> and it was the most weird thing. And so, and I have to say, you know, having been through it before, I thought, ah, it's going to go away. You know, it's just a little blip. Oh, yes, a couple banks failed. Ah, it's going to be all right, right? And I'd say, you know, it took probably about nine or ten months of just declining revenues to wake us up and say, hey, this is like, this is like permanent. This is a permanent change in the way uh, consumers are going to be spending money here, especially in Northern California, where the housing market was really impacted. I think you had, um, I think, uh, Dr. Dunn, Courtney Dunn on a podcast, yep. and she talked about Arizona. They were hit really hard as well, really hard. Um, I had friends in Vegas devastated, and uh, Sacramento was hit really bad as well. So there were certain pockets that were just hit hard. And we had to really figure out what we were going to do, because what we had been doing, it was not working anymore. And uh, the way things were, <laughs> we used to, it wasn't so funny, but I, we used to come home at night. You have to have some sense of humor when, you know, you're thinking to yourself, well, this is just not, this is bad. 
we used to come home at night and, and look at our two kids at the time were like, I think 10 and maybe 11 and say, you know, the way things are going, you guys went to pull you out of school. And I think, you know, Karina, you're going to be up front answering the phones and Nate, you're going to be in the back <laughs> with mom and dad, you know, doing sterilization, you know, and I think, I think in a way, you know, they were probably a little bit traumatized by it looking back on it, but, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but in a way we were like almost dead serious. Like it was like, we had to do something different. Right. So what, what things did you change in your practice or, you know, were, was it staffing, marketing? What were the things that you had to adjust to kind of get through that? You know, we looked around and said, what is everybody doing? Okay. And decided to do the exact opposite, <laughs> basically, to be honest with you. And what was everybody doing back then? So besides the economy crashing, there was the um, influx of uh, a boatload of new competition. And to be honest with you, I hadn't paid attention to it, you know, just totally hadn't really focused on it. Didn't realize that there was a bunch of new orthodontists that had moved in, some DSOs that had moved in. Um, there was a pile of general dentists doing, um, you know, six month smiles and limited, you know, braces. But the one thing everybody was doing, and you gotta remember this is 2008, braces, 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 braces. And, um, I remember a couple of these uh, DSOs were offering, you know, no down payment and you know, get started with your braces for $49 a month. And I thought, well, if I start doing that, I'm going to be out of business even faster, you know, so we got to do something different. And at the time we were doing Invisalign, but it was a, it was like 10% of our practice. I mean, you had to be an adult plus one. Okay. And you kind of almost had to ask for it, right? It wasn't something we actively promoted. So, you know, we started thinking, gosh, you know, maybe we should start offering Invisalign. No one else is offering it. And maybe we should market to people that still have some money <laughs> because, you know, you had state workers being furloughed. You had um, parents coming in that were in treatment saying, hey, I got to change my payment plans. I just lost my job. Um, we had the phone had stopped ringing. So people weren't bringing their kids in. They're putting it off because it's not an emergency. You know, you don't, you know, crooked right. teeth. It's okay, right? So we said, hey, you know what? Let's target the adult population. Let's target kind of the baby boomers. Actually, we went, we went after the um, the um, retirement communities, like the Sun Cities, you know, some of these 55 and over communities, and marketed heavily to them. How did we market to them? Simple. They had newsletters that went out every month. We advertised in them. We went to some of their health fairs. Um, it wasn't very complicated or very expensive. We also sent out some emails to our patient list saying, Hey, we're offering Invisalign now and, um, you know, get started for as low as blah, blah, blah. Right. And you know, we were pretty competitive on the down payments and things like that. And little by little, people started showing up and they were adults. I have to tell you, it was majority were adults. A lot of them were 50 year old and above who would never put braces on their teeth. That they wanted it in Visalign and they had money. They, you know, they had the resources. And then, and then that kind of started to, you know, help us kind of get back on track. And then little by little gain our confidence to offer it to teens. And it took about 18 months. I mean, it was not overnight. I mean, it was not like, okay, we decided, you know, in September to do this. And by December, we were, you know, doing much better. I mean, it was, probably a good 18 months of, um, you know, pedal to the metal, 
and just really putting the blinders on and, and everything we did was about Invisalign. We just, it wasn't like we didn't talk about braces, but we made it so that Invisalign was a big focus and a big part of the messaging to the, to the community and our target audience at the time. And the rest is really history because, you know, after we started doing more teen Invisalign, it just, you know, it's, you know, the word got out, it spread. It, it, it wasn't like a household word in 2008 or 2009. So a lot of it was still kind of, you know, word of mouth, guerrilla marketing, emails. Um, we did some uh, print advertising in local newsletters, some local small newspapers. We didn't have a ton of money to spend a fortune on advertising. So I'd say a lot of it was grassroots kind of thing, you know, and email was a big part of it because we had a huge email list of patients. So we would just put out email blasts, you know, once a month, you know, offering Invisalign, same price as braces, um, get started today, you know, $500 down, whatever it, it, and it, and it worked. Right. Right. I want to definitely talk a little bit more about Invisalign. Before we move off the topic of this uh, 2008 financial crisis, um, another question here just kind of occurred to me, and maybe this is a personal question, but looking back at that time, you know, having been in practice at that point for a number of years, were there things you had done in your, in your personal finances or, or steps perhaps you wish you would have taken to prepare for a downturn in your practice finances? That's a great question. and. I think this is a lesson to learn and um, kind of learned it the hard way. I, what happened was I think we were so, oh, what's the word, um, confident that, you know, things were just going to go up and up and up. Um, at the time, we were working with a, a practice management consultant who said, you guys got to, you know, you, you this. we were in a 1,500-square-foot space when we first started in Sacramento, tiny little office. I mean, we had outgrown it so quickly. And, you know, and most consultants will tell you, and it's probably true, you know, if you move into a bigger space, you know, your practice will grow 20%, you know, and I think there's a lot of validity to that statement, okay? And I would say, you know, that was probably, looking back on it, that 1,500 square foot space would be perfect right now for an Invisalign I wouldn't say we're Invisalign only, but a very Invisalign heavy practice. I mean, we do more Invisalign than we do fixed now. And that 1,500 square foot space would be perfect versus what we have now, which is like close to um, 3,000 square feet. And I think also at that time, besides buying a building, uh, we had just purchased, you know, what I would call uh, my, you know, dream home. Uh, we had uh -huh. just done that in 2000 and the tail end of 2005. So it wasn't the height of the market, but it was pretty darn close. Uh, but the building was definitely the height of the market because we bought, purchased that in 2007. So we had made some financial decisions, you know, probably when real estate was at the highest it was going to be in, in at the time. And, you know, you, you just think, oh, you know, it's just going to keep going up and up and up. And real estate always goes up, especially in California. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone knows now that that isn't true i think unless you're maybe in san francisco and silicon valley you know but even the silicon valley people were hit because we had friends there that you know there was a definite decline in 2008 
So, yeah, my wife's now, from Bakersfield, and and that okay. You know, oh, I think that's where they, they had got, the they had the strawberry farmer who I think got the seven hundred thousand the strawberry picker, excuse me, who got like the seven hundred thousand yes. dollar house. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That nonsense was going on all over. Bakersfield got hammered too. Actually, they because yep. that yep. that was one of the fastest growing regions for housing because it was kind of like a an L.A. suburb almost, and people would live yeah. in Bakersfield and commute to L.A. And I know people down there that were hit pretty hard as well. So, yeah, so now, <laughs> uh, knowing what we know now, let me tell you, um, we definitely have a lot more money stocked away for a rainy day than we did then. I think right. we felt like, you know, the bottom wasn't ever going to fall out. Unless, you know, honestly, except for a couple little dips, you know, it always went up, right? And I think... Mm-hmm. There's a lot of us that feel that way in our profession, and we're all very lucky. We're all pretty lucky because generally it does. But that was something that just, you know, took the wind out of our sails. And I think we both learned a lot from it and be prepared for that rainy day. Uh, and now right. we are. I mean, but we really weren't back then. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about Invisalign. I know you guys are, you know, uh, elite providers and, and mm-hmm. done thousands of cases and you, you speak for Invisalign. And, you know, the big question everyone likes to ask is, you know, how do I start more Invisalign cases without simply cannibalizing my existing patients? And, you know, can, can, can we or should we depend on Invisalign to grow our practices? Yeah, that's a good question. I, and I would say, um, in the early days when we first were promoting, especially teen Invisalign, right? Um, probably did cannibalize those cases, right? Because I, we really wanted to do teen Invisalign, but the only way to do teen Invisalign is to, you know, offer it at a competitive price, right? So right. we probably did cannibalize a bunch of those patients that would have opted for brackets. And we knew we, we targeted it right away are those phase two patients, you know, that were pretty much class one anyway. They were pretty easy. So right. we targeted those initially. And the adult patients, I, I felt we never cannibalized them because I just felt, and I still feel that way today, um, the adults that come in, they are only going to do Invisalign and they're just going to shop around until they get somebody to give them Invisalign. Because I can tell you, a 65-year-old woman is just not going to consent to braces. I mean, that, they'll just live with their crooked teeth. But the teens, you can make a case for maybe cannibalizing them. I would say today, fast forward nine years or so, um, I think it's become, you know, a household word. I mean, I think it's becoming um, trendy to have Invisalign. I think you have a lot of teens out there on social media, you know, looking at, you know, other teens that are popular on social media. And I'm, I'm not on these teen sites or on these teen YouTube things, but I do think today what we see more and more are parents bringing their kids in for second and third opinions and the mom saying, well, you know, we were only, we were told it was only braces, but you know, we really want Invisalign or she really wants Invisalign. So I think now you can make a case for, okay, these patients are seeking Invisalign providers that provide Invisalign teen. And if you're not providing it, they're just going to going somewhere until, you know, they get someone to say yes. And I, I see more, we see more and more of that. And I do think that 
don't know if you can expect Invisalign to build your practice, but depending on where you're located, the uh, concierge program that they have now, pretty incredible. I mean, we have four locations. Now, not all of them are getting equal amounts of referrals, but we do have one that's getting probably two a week. And not bad, you know, coming off uh, their concierge program. So I, I think that if you're not doing any teen Invisalign, I think in about eh, two, three, four years, you're going to wish you had. Because I do think more and more teens are aware of it. More and more moms, especially the millennial moms, um, are looking for technology to make their lives easier. And Invisalign certainly has the ability for them not to have as many visits. They can, their kids don't have to have emergency appointments. They don't have to take them out of, you know, math class to get a bracket put back on. Um, you can, you know, stretch your appointments out further so you don't, you know, have to have that argument about, well, you know, we can only see you at 10 o'clock in the morning. And most parents are just so, you know, I, I just see the trend where parents today are more and more demanding of after school appointments. And if you want to have a practice that grows and succeeds, I think you kind of need to offer what the consumer wants. So I, I think depending on where your market is, you know, more and more teens and more and more moms, right? Especially the millennial moms are going to ask for it. And I think if you're not prepared to offer it and be confident to do that, I think you will uh, lose out on patients because they're not going to accept braces. They're just going to keep searching until they right. get what they want. So I think one concern, you know, that I hear from some orthodontist Donna is this, mm -hmm. how do we, how do we overcome the perception of a liner treatment as a commodity? You know, Invisalign is Invisalign is Invisalign or, or competition from non-specialist dentists or other new entries to the marketplace, uh, you know, DIY or direct to consumer. How do we retain our position as authorities, uh, in the, in the Invisalign era? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And again, I do see that there's demographic differences. Um, and what do I say by that? Like age differences. So if you're dealing with, say, the baby boomer generation, it's really a non-issue. They, they, they understand, you know, the doctor is the doctor, the specialist is the specialist. And, you know, so that demographic totally is still committed to, you know, seeing a specialist and understanding that, you know, it is the doctor expertise experience that is key. What I do see is a little bit more challenging is the, you know, Gen X moms and especially the millennial moms who, um, you know, sometimes don't really have a firm grasp on the difference, right? And are used to, you know, being on their cell phone, you know, shopping on, you know, Amazon or, you know, looking for the best deal and trying to educate them on the differences. But I will tell you this, and this is what I see, um, as far as their kids go, okay, and this is why teen I think is so critical. But you really if you're not, I always think if you're not doing teen design, because they're gonna go for the best for the kids. And you're a parent, I'm a parent, we we're we're not gonna cut corners for our children. Okay. We might right. cut corners for ourselves, especially as a mom, you know, you mm -hmm. may cut so the moms out there may cut corners. So yeah, they may sign up for Smile Direct Club, 
you know, until they realize they're not really getting, you know, exactly what they thought they were getting. But they'll never um, succumb to that for their children because they want their children to have the best. They want they want their bites fixed. They want the full correction. They're they're not going to sign up for you know. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you a perfect example. It, it, I mean, and I, maybe you've had this happen. I don't know, but this happens kind of a little bit more than I care to admit. But you know, I'll have a parent in the office who will come in. Uh, for a new patient consult, right? Uh, for their son or daughter, teenager. And, you know, they want Invisalign. And as I'm talking to them, I notice they have aligners on, you know, <laughs> or they have plastic on their teeth, right? You know, and I may not say anything, but of course, you know, my treatment coordinator may say something and, you know, come to find out that, you know, they're being treated, you know, uh, by a non-specialist. Okay. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they're bringing their son or daughter to the specialist, right? And, that happens. It's kind of surprising, you know, how much that actually does happen. But, and that's my whole point. They're going to find the specialist. They want the best for their kids. So. Right. That is an interesting way to, to look at that. I've probably just been, you know, demoralized when I see the parent, but that you're right. That does kind of illustrate that point that they're looking for that for their kid. Yeah. And they're not going to go for the, the, the cheapest way to do it. They want the best for the children. They, they don't want, and so that's why teen Invisalign to me is, is really, I think, ultimately going to be where, you know, you can really stand out in the crowd by offering it. And the more Invisalign does their end in their marketing campaigns, the more likelihood those patients are going to come in to your office asking for it and searching out those practitioners that offer it and seeking a specialist. Yeah. yeah. I, I can't say I'm a huge Invisalign team provider. We've definitely have cases going, but mm-hmm. um, really pushing it. I don't think we're there yet, but um, I, I think I think you make some interesting points here. One thing uh, you mentioned in you know as something that's changed during the course of your career is is the number of female dentists and orthodontists. Mm-hmm. And I know that you created a, a coaching service for uh, women professionals. And I, I'm curious kind of what prompted you to do that? What are the issues that you see facing these women doctors? And what were your goals? You know, it's funny because um, when I was in dental school, back in the dark, I would say back in the dark ages or the middle ages, I was, um, I think there were 30 women in the class out of about 160. And, and then when I went to ortho school, there was, there was zero. It was me. It was me, and I think, you know, the, the class before me, I think I was like the first female accepted, I think it had been like four years, you know, in a row. And then right after me, I think it was another like two or three years before they had any other females. I mean, now it's totally different. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was like me and the guys, and um, I mean, it was great. They were awesome guys. I mean, I can't, I'm not complaining about it. It was just the way it was. And and it could have been that there just wasn't as many women applying to specialty programs either, you know, at the time, to be honest with you, you know, that was probably part of it, right? You get out of dental, there weren't that many women in dental school, let alone that many applying to specialty programs, right? Sure. Now we fast forward to today and, you know, there's some programs that's all women, right? Yep. Uh, in, 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 in some of these specialty programs. And I think the dental schools are graduating about 50% females. So, you know, what do I see? And, and it's funny because um, I practice with my husband, you know, and we're together, you know, in these practices. It's not like he has his own office. I have my own office. We, you know, we were together. And 
um, it's just, (laughs) it's different, you know, and it's kind of funny in, in some ways how employees interact differently with me versus him. And, and that's a whole other topic of conversation. But what I do see is that I think there are differences in just the way, you know, women approach, um, you know, running their offices, how um, the employees interact with, say, you know, a female quote unquote boss versus a male quote unquote boss. And I think, you know, women, and I hate to make a blanket statement, but I do think there's a difference in, you know, goals for women professionals as far as, you know, how they want to balance, you know, their careers and say a family life. And I just feel like having kind of been through it, you know, and kind of on the back end of it now, um, I think I just have things I can share with women and I, I have done it over the years, you know, to help them kind of try to manage and balance it all. Because the one thing I just had this conversation recently with another young female orthodontist just starting out um, on her own office. And I said, you know, the problem that, you know, you have as a mom is that when you're at the office, right, you're thinking about what's happening at home, you know, with the kids uh-huh. or the kids are in daycare. And when you're with your kids all day at home, you know, whatever, you're thinking about what's happening at the office. And she looked at me, she goes, oh my gosh, that's so right. <laughs> and, uh, and I, I, I remember asking my husband, like, you know, do you ever, you know, when you're, when you're, uh, when you're home, do you ever think about what's going on at the office? He goes, nah, you know, <laughs> how about when you're at the office? Do you ever think about what's happening with the kids? No. And it's just, it's just men, and women, it's just the way we're wired. And, and I do think, it, you know, there's challenges for both men and women, but I do think that, you know, as women, we still have a big burden or the primary responsibility for, you know, the kids and the household. And, and while there are some men out there that take over that 100%, right? Um, I think the majority still, it's more traditional, you know? So I've been doing some personal coaching. I, I, my, I really enjoy when I get somebody who's kind of brand new, just starting out, you know, helping them kind of get off the ground and just kind of get, you know, moving forward and, and getting them organized on what they're doing and setting up some systems for them because I just find that if you can get that right from the start, and the rest of it kind of falls in place. And then you have other issues later when the growth per- starts and then you're kind of overwhelmed and managing that next level of your practice. But if you can get the basics right off the bat started, you can have a, a really successful first year and not be so stressed out. What's the low-hanging fruit there? What are the common mistakes you, you see doctors making? Are there simple things that make a big difference? Yeah, I'm telling you that overspending on overspending on equipment what you need to get started i mean i'm telling you i just see they they take out these huge loans they overspend on the you know they they you know they try to make it look like you know the taj mahal i mean i'm exaggerating but they just overspend on the treatment on the tis and they overspend on all the equipment they need you know especially if it's a startup from scratch you have no patience um you know why put six chairs in You know, know, why, you know, put in two, you know, maybe, and, and why, you know, offices kind of need to be refreshed, I think every seven years anyway. So go in, make it look clean and nice, 
but don't overspend. You know, you don't have to have, um, you know, you just don't have, you could put carpet in and don't put hardwood in. Put the hardwood in seven years when you have the money. Um, you know, you don't need all granite countertops everywhere. You know, put in laminate to get started. You know, because you're going to have to pay for that and you don't have any patience and it's going to be really stressful. And then you're going to be working in, you know, five different offices and feeling like, you know, all you do is work and everybody's in your pockets, but you, you know, there's no money left at the end of the month because you've just paid, you know, everybody else. So that's the biggest one, overspending, you know, building out more than you need and probably letting every person that comes knocking at your door, sell you a marketing plan, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, you know, signing up for every, you know, uh, marketing plan that's out there rather than having a real, what I would call, I call it grassroots. You could call it real marketing approach, a real strategic um, plan that requires what I call sweat equity. Yep. Because um, generally you should have a lot of time on your hands. You don't have a whole lot of patience. So you should be out there you know, knocking on doors, meeting, you know, doctors, you know, joining the chambers, you know, showing up where other people aren't. You know, I, I always tell people join, you know, join these, these like chamber of commerce uh, groups, you know, join whatever networking groups you can, you know, do those things in the beginning when you have time, because later when you get super busy, you probably won't have the time, but that's yep. where you can show up and no one else will be there. It'll just be you, and you'll become known as the expert. I've kind of experienced a little bit. I mean, I, I purchased a practice, so we were you know, still busy, I'd say, even when I bought the practice, but I felt like I had more time, and, and I was still working with the senior doctor at the, at the time, so I had a little bit more time, and, and now it is hard. There's certain things where I think, oh, I don't, I can't do that. Um, you know, our practice is bigger, and, and you know, I, I get concerned with that. I worry, like, Am I abandoning the things that, you know, were successful for me? But on the other hand, like, there's only so much of me to go around. Well, and sometimes what you can do is, and, and I've, I've told, you know, told docs who maybe are at the point where they don't have that time now, send a staff member in your place. Send yeah. one of your, you know, qualified staff members to show up at the chamber luncheons or at some of the school events or whatever the things that you were doing. And they can represent your office quite well for you, you know. Yeah. And uh, sometimes they can even be better, especially. <laughs> yeah. You know, right? Yeah. They can. Yeah. Right? Because they're yeah. yeah. So, um, it's just you know, there's. I just think when you are a startup or you just bought a brand new practice, I think there's a lot of sweat equity that you kind of need to invest. And then once you get things rocking and rolling, some of that sweat equity goes away for you and then you can maybe send a staff member in your place and then you can sign on to some of the you know more expensive marketing programs that are out there to help generate um you know you know new patients for you but and the other thing i always tell doctors is to really make sure you get a good website that performs for you because without a good website that's performing forget about it i mean you you need a website that's not just a brochure but actually you know, has a way of, you know, uh, allowing patients to contact you, sign up for an appointment, you know, things that people, moms want. Moms just yeah. want to be able to go online, schedule an appointment, or at least put a form in saying, hey, I'd like to come in on Monday between 12 and 2, 
and have a way for that to happen. Yeah. Yeah, you need you need a Invisalign music video like the one I just saw on your website. Oh, thank you. You like that, isn't that cool? <laughs> <laughs> that was one. Yeah, it's one of my patients, and uh, yeah, I try to have fun, some fun things. But yeah, you were um, rocking it there. You had the shades. You were you were. You I were know. Right there and that was pretty good. <laughs> I know you're having a good so, time. <laughs> good, good. Well, we're here at the end of 2017, and we're looking forward into 2018. I'm I'm curious, what are the kind of top strategies you're focused on right now for improving and growing your practice? You know, um, efficiency. It's coming down to being as efficient as we can um, and, and getting patients, you know, in and out of treatment in a timely manner. One thing I notice is patients start to burn out, whether it's braces or Invisalign, there's a burnout factor. I would say around month 15, 16, definitely by 18 months. And, you know, you, you kind of have to understand that and make sure that, you know, that patient is, you know, following through whatever instructions you've given them. I don't care if you have fixed appliances on or aligners, make sure they're wearing their aligners, make sure they're wearing their rubber bands. If they're fixed appliances, make sure they're not breaking their brackets every other week and get them in and out of treatment because it just goes down the slippery slope at about month you know, for sure, for sure by month 18, 19, 20, you just start going downhill and the, the ability of that patient to, you know, cooperate, I think just starts to wane. So we're looking at ways to uh, be more efficient, be more effective, whether we add, you know, some sort of accelerated devices, accelerated treatment to their uh, treatment plans or offer that as an add-on, um, looking at um, I, I, one thing we see, it's harder and harder to get qualified staff and, you know, looking at ways to, you know, maximize, you know, each patient's visit so that when they do come in, we're getting a lot done so that maybe we can schedule them out, you know, further and further so they don't have to come in quite as often. And, and that way you know, kind of manage even some of our overhead as far as, you know, employee costs and so, it's all to me. I think the next, oh, I don't know, the next uh, frontier in orthodontics is going to be about efficiency and getting getting patients treat, treated faster with less visits. Because I think there is a ceiling point on how much we can raise fees. I think there's just going to be this. You know, we we've seen it in in our locale, not being able to really raise. Um, Prices, there's always this downward pressure, and a lot of it's coming from you know the corporate models, the DSOs that we're competing with, and their their insurance plans that they have, and trying trying to stay competitive with that. And the only way you're going to stay competitive is is improving your efficiency, you know, maximizing each appointment, but at the same time providing this you know really great experience for them when they do come in and and running on time. I mean, there's all these things I think that are our focus now more than anything. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good answer. It's something that is definitely a big priority for us in our practice as well. Efficiency. And, um, we've made, we've made a lot of changes this year uh, towards that end. So I think yep. that's, that, that you're right. That I like how you called the, the new frontier. I think that's, that's a real thing. So, mm -hmm. 
Great. Well, we're going to wrap up here, Donna, with uh, these Express 8 questions. We're going to have eight quick questions and get some quick answers from you, and then uh, we'll call it a day. You ready for this? Yep, I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay. What's your go-to treatment for full-step class twos? You know, <laughs> right now it would be Invisalign, and um, it would either be, it kind of depends on the case, it would be either using uh, elastics and distillation mechanics or using um, the new appliance that hopefully will be coming out in uh, January. We've been um, one of the test sites for it. So there's a pretty cool appliance that will be coming out from Invisalign that is a um, kind of a functional appliance uh, incorporated. Yeah into the aligner. I'm looking forward to, to seeing that. I've, I've heard a lot about it. Yeah. So what's your standard retention protocol? Typically, we, we do an Essex-type retainer, in-house Essex that we, that we make, um, and we put them on usually two to three months. They wear it uh, full-time, and then they go to um, eight to ten hours uh, at night, and that's pretty much indefinite. Right. Who are your role models or mentors? I would say that when I was in school at University of Pennsylvania, um, Dr. Van Arsdale, Slick Van Arsdale, was my chairman of the department. He's since passed away, but I learned a lot from him um, about you know, early treatment, phase one treatment, which we do a fair amount. Um, learned a lot from... Uh, Dr. David Music as well, who was another faculty member. And, um, I, I, you know, it's interesting today, I would say, um, there's so many great people out there that, um, I, I, I follow and, and listen to what they have to say as far as, you know, um, just even from a, a business standpoint, um, I follow, it's kind of interesting. I, I love reading uh, different authors. So one of my favorite authors on leadership, and I think leadership is one of the key things that needs to be taught um, in colleges as well as professional schools. And that is John Maxwell. I pretty much yep. have read every single one of his books. And I would say- Well, he's got a lot of books. So you've read a lot of books. I love his stuff. And as a role <laughs> model and mentor, I would say he's one of my top ones. And- you know, somebody that I admire tremendously. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great. Um, this might be a softball. What's your favorite orthodontic product or instrument? Hmm. <laughs> um, you know, I would, I'm, you know, I'm sorry to say, but I just really, I really think Invisalign is really, for me, yep. it, it's been like amazing. Yep. Great. Um, what's the best vacation you've ever taken? Oh man, that's a tough one. Wow. Anyone with our kids, I would say has been the best. And, um, you know, we've taken our kids on a lot of great trips. And I think if you would ask them, you know, they would say that that's probably some of their best memories, you know, of hanging out with their parents, going on some great trips. Um, I would say one of the more recent trips that we we did together is uh, we went to New Zealand uh, last year and wow. um, did a lot of hiking. And yeah, that was pretty awesome. Uh, what's one great book that you've read recently? Oh my gosh, um, I love this book from uh, 
I'm really into personal development. So Dave Asprey, and he has a phenomenal podcast I listen to called Bulletproof. And he wrote a book called Headstrong. And um, it's the Bulletproof Plan to Activate Untapped Brain Energy to Work Smarter and Think Faster. <laughs> okay. It's a, it's a great book. It's, it's more of a personal development book and, you know, how to, how to, you know, basically hack your energy levels. So that's my favorite gonna, book at the moment. This is good. I know you're into this stuff. So I'm going to take this recommend. I'm going to start at least with the, with the podcast for sure. This, uh, check, this is check a name the I've podcast. never heard. It's so I'm going to, I'm going to check this out. I think you'll like it a lot, Lance. I really think good, you will. He's, I'm always looking for new stuff. I've, so. I've turned on a lot of people to his, um, his podcast and his uh, his stuff it's pretty pretty interesting i think you'll enjoy nice. it what bracket system are you currently using for your fixed appliance cases you know we just <laughs> it's a good question we use uh we used to use uh empower from american ortho um but when i got tired of putting colored ties and or arguing with patients about you know why the colored ties weren't a good idea we just switched to the twin instead <laughs> So, okay. <laughs> and, and, and honestly, that's working out really super well for us. Yeah. Good. Good. And what's one area of orthodontics that you want to learn more about? You know, I'd say the 3D printing world. Um, we're just yeah. starting to dabble into that. And, um, CBCT, we just uh, got one put in, uh, purchased one over the summer and kind of just diving more into uh, the nuances of that and, and how we can really uh, incorporate into our practice a little bit better and, and use that information. So those two things, kind of our new focus, I'd say, for this year and next year. Great, great. Well, Donna, thank you so much for taking a little bit of time out of your afternoon to speak to our audience. I've learned a lot and this has just been a real fun experience to talk with you. If, if people have more questions or, or want to get a hold of you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, they can, um, they can check my website out. I have a website, drdonagalante.com, or they can reach me via email at uh, drdonna at drdonagalante.com. And I usually answer emails within about 48 hours, so I'm happy to take any questions or they just want to learn more about, you know, I, what we, what I do, I, I have some Invisalign coaching I do. They can check that out at the website if they're interested. Cool. Cool. Well, well thanks again. Um, like I said, this is, this has just been wonderful. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun for me too, Lance. All right. Have a great afternoon. Talk to you later. You too. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast. For more episodes, subscribe on iTunes or visit our website at elevateorthopodcast.com. Tune in next week for another great episode.